Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 79, all about school and student data with Rusty Gregory. My name's Sean Tiber. I am a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. And we're here this week with Rusty Gregory from the almost frozen north. I think it's getting <laughs> colder every day there, right? Welcome, Rusty, to the show. We're excited to have you. Excellent. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we've had some conversations, I think, right around the beginning of when we started the podcast, and then things quieted down, and I think you got busy, we got busy, and then you reemerged a few months ago on the Talk Python podcast. And when you came back, you were working on student data, school data at a district level, and I was like, ooh, we have to get Rusty on the show. Like, I want to hear all about this. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Just talking about data kind of makes me excited. I'm sorry. I'm not a hardware person. I am a data person. I'm trying to be at least. So it'll be interesting. Well, you're not alone. <laughs> well, good. Well, we'll start where we always do with the wins of the week, and then we'll jump into a little bit about your background, Rusty, and and kind of the stuff that you've been up to, and and just talking about how we're using data you know, across education in different ways, and kind of maybe making that jump from classroom and technology integration to more of a data-focused role in education. We're excited to talk to you about it. Sounds great. So we'll start with the win of the week, something good that's happened inside or outside of the classroom. And Rusty, we're going to make you go first because that's what we like to do. It sounds <laughs> kind good. Of fun. I had a pretty big win last week. I finished a big project where I'd been working on coordinating between PowerSchool and Google Classroom. So kind of keeping Google Classroom up to date with what's in our student management system. So I kind of started that and it was about a week and a half journey of a lot of learning different things. And I finished that up last week and it's been working this week. So, so far it's a win. Excellent. Nice. Excellent. I remember horror stories about PowerSchool. <laughs> He's just that's laughs. My, that's my daily. Yeah. <laughs> Coming from a whole bunch of international schools, we've used everything. So there are better platforms. There's always, always pros and cons of everything. So good for you. Glad to have that win. All right, Kelly, how about you? Oh, my win's obvious. He knows my win. As Go I was jumping it. up and down today in front of my <laughs> class, I, I set the students up on a class challenge that was set for about 15 minutes just so I could finish working on on your own challenge on my own challenge that I've been working on for about three weeks but in mind you it's not like 24 hours of me working it's like 20 to 30 minutes a day of me trying to solve a problem and in between kids coming in my kids bothering me at home fighting but it was a problem it was a problem from PyCharm Academy that I've been working JetBrains Academy from PyCharm EDU that I've been working on and it was so ugly my code. And I started off with list and then I changed into a dictionary and Sean's like, you should just put it back into a, a list. And so I had three different versions of a code, all that doesn't work. And I mashed it together this morning and I was so close. So I knew it was going to win. And I started jumping up and down because I was like, it's going to happen. And then the kids were like, oh, it's going to happen. <laughs> and I kept <laughs> And then it finally happened. So now I'm on, I have one more, one more part of the, of the project to finish, but oh, it was so good to be done with that. I'm just like, ah. And you're braver than I am because you had it up on the smart board as you were solving it yeah. too with the <laughs> test bar running across the screen and everything. I, I would not have put yeah. that in front of the students. I did it like five times and they're like, oh, you failed. And I'm like, oh, but I know this one. I can fix that one. Oh, look at that silly mistake. So it's fun. It was really good. I feel. They're invested enough to care. That's a win for certain. Yeah, that my sixth graders this quarter are the ones in themselves. They're crazy. As a kid yesterday was telling me, Miss, how do I package a code? And I'm like, Oh, God, 
this is the second week, kid. Can we just talk about libraries or something? He's like, but I want to run this on. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. Go to oh, this yeah. website. Have fun. It's ready for the big times. <laughs> and what was your win, Sean? Uh, well, it's kind of a combined win. So I've been working on, like, I know that when I get stressed, my therapy is to spend some time working with my hands and doing like projects that have hardware incorporated in them. So I've been working with our innovation lab specialists over in the upper school. They've been setting up a brand new 3D print farm with these amazing Prusa 3D printers. And I have some experience with them. So I've been helping them get that set up. And this week, they just turned on all six of them, got connected to our cloud printing platform. And as of right now, three of them are printing <laughs> pieces for a project that I'm starting next month, all with LEDs. So it's been a really cool win to kind of get all this stuff fitting together. And then I also, as part of that, have been just experimenting more and more with LED projects in our classroom right now has a probably a, a hundred feet of LED lights going through the ceiling, lighting up, blinking, causing Kelly to twitch from time to time from <laughs> overstimulation. Yeah, um, I kind of changed my win. He finally finished that project. I was like, oh my God, for goodness sake, stop playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so. so that's been a that's been a fun one. And, and the fail this week has been I forgot to give one of my class periods a, a quiz that I gave the other ones. So I'm going through and catching up on grades. I'm like wait, why don't any of them have it submitted? And I realized I had completely forgotten. So that's what they get to do in about 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I don't have any fails. I've successfully, <laughs> I, I have successfully unfailed. And if I have, I'm forgetting it. So I'm just going to not fail this week because I've been failing for the past three weeks on that darn challenge. So I think it's a great example of failing your way. To I success, failed my right? way to success. It was great. So. It's all worth it when it works. Many times I'm working out things in my head on my bike ride home and then I finally get home and I try it. And I was like, oh, I wasted three hours at work trying to figure this out. And all I need to do was think about it for 20 minutes. And yep. That's it. We're big on thinking before doing, right? So <laughs> <laughs> we put some thinking into it. Any particularly memorable fails this week, Rusty? Oh, no, I'm trying. It's Friday afternoon. I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about the weekend. Fair enough. That's right. Fair, Fair enough. enough. So, so why don't we introduce everyone to you, Rusty? You're a teacher, but I understand that you didn't start off planning to be a teacher. So how did you get into teaching and, and then into technology and Python? Sure. I mean, I went to undergrad for law enforcement and I spent a summer inside a police car and decided that that wasn't for me. And then kind of met my wife right after that and kind of moved around a bit. When we came back to the States, I went back to get my master's in teaching and I was going to go for middle school. Science was pretty much my interest at the time. And I did my student teaching and they hired me, but they didn't have a science job open. So I kind of fell into this computer intro course at the junior high in Illinois. So I did that for a little bit and then we moved to Vermont and I ended up as a tech coordinator at a very small school, 200 kids. So I did everything, you name it, it was plugged in. I had to take care of it. I had very little experience with hardware at all, but I kind of learned it all while we were doing that. And I was able to turn that into a tech integration job that was just kind of emerging in, in Vermont and we're the home of IBM. So there's a lot of layoffs and stuff going on. They're trying to retrain these guys who were hardcore tech guys into becoming teachers. So there was a little bit of funding out there to kind of help push me in that direction. So that was pretty cool. So I got to get back into teaching, which was awesome. So I was there for a long time. Again, of course, I just got that added to my job. So I also took care of everything, <laughs> but had a classroom at the same time then, or I was responsible for the 
the classroom then. So that was great. It was exactly what I needed at the time. I started to learn HTML and things like that. I started to teach at a community college, web design then, and that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed that. Another job opened up where I didn't have to worry about the hardware and stuff, and I could just be an integrationist and kind of help other teachers. So it kind of switched over to teaching the staff at that point, and I started to do more and more of that. And I started to get more into kind of keeping the building or the place organized at the time. You know, so they had a task that needed to do needed to be done or, you know, if something figured out, I would start to organize things, you know, with the, with the administration and stuff. And then I, when I got into automation, I started to automate some tasks, you know, like our mandatory training at the beginning of the year, I was able to figure out how to send people emails to remind, you know, reminders in the morning and stuff like that to get that done. So I really, really enjoyed that. And that all kind of stemmed from Hour of Code. I'm sure you guys are familiar. Showing the kids all these different cool things one time after the Hour of Code, I just sat there and finished Code Combat. <laughs> and that was pretty cool. And then I bought the paid version. And then I spent about three or four months doing that. And I really, really found that I enjoyed that. So I started to prepare myself to be, you know, to be able to teach coding at a higher level rather than because I was at an elementary school at the time. So yep, I just kept going and have really, really, really enjoyed that aspect, almost more so than than teaching people how to code. So when this job came up, we kind of had some changes at our district and this position was created and I kind of, yeah, I just slid into it, I guess. It seemed like a good fit for where I was and where I was heading. Nice. Uh, minus the cop and the community community <laughs> school, you sound like a familiar role of what I did. It was the same thing. Like, it's funny how people in the positions, normally computer science or or yeah, computer science teachers usually fall into that position or the tech integrationist specialist, you become this everything. We do everything too. And it's always like, did you turn it on? <laughs> yeah. So, And just because we were able to ask those questions, they're like, obviously, you know about tech. I right, sure yeah. do. Great. <laughs> I tell I'll people, right. If you could read an error message, right, you're going to be really good at this. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't take the time to uh, just stop and think about it. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also know how to Google, right? Yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. I just got to get a phone call. <laughs> I can Go remember ahead. the very first time that the, that the district person came by when I was sitting in my little room in the, in the small school and, you know, she Googled the question that I asked her and I was like, what? Yeah, exactly. I thought she just knew all this stuff about Microsoft server or whatever it might've been, but nope. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> so can you tell us a, a little bit more about the role that you're doing now? This is relatively new, right? Is it this year or, or did it come about last year? This is my third year. So when I first started, like I say, we we had a big merger. Vermont merged all of its smaller districts and it's a really local control kind of place. So my kids go to a school with 108 students in it and they had its own school board and you know its own rules and all these types of things. So the state asked all those schools to consolidate. So we went from what's called a supervisory union to a school district now. So all four schools had to come under one school board, one set of rules, one, you know, one everything basically, but we'd been four very separate places before. So that happened at the same time that the state decided to require all state reporting to be online through this one system through a number of data collections. So basically we all had to get all of our stuff to look the same. And then it had to meet this higher criteria that it had never been before, before the information had been for the school used by the school. Now it's also that, but reported to the state. So there was a lot of haggling 
that had to happen between the systems to make sure that that could happen. So when that happened, we also got a new technology director and they just said, oh, these new requirements are now yours. And he basically spent a year trying to do that and everything else that's required just to keep things running and convince them that this should be a separate job. So I was able to step into that. I'd been kind of helping because I'd been learning, you know, how to manipulate large amounts of data and stuff like that before that anyway. So uh, yeah, so that's what I do now all the time. I kind of spent a lot of time training people how to enter good data and kind of being involved in yeah, what we need to put in to get out what we want, which is great. So I'm in a, in a unique position. I think I'm one of the few people hired in the state to specifically to do what I do because I talked to the other data managers and lots of times they, they had other jobs before. And now this was added to their plate, but I sort of was given this data position first and then I've sort of added to that instead. So nice. just, just for our listeners who may not be teachers or educators out there, what kind of data are we talking about? Pretty much. So we have a student information system where everything goes, all the students' demographic data, all of their, some schools use it for their grades as well. Everything goes into this one system that, as you know, power school can be a huge, we've been using it as a machete for a long time. So just to chop, you know, just basic tool. I'm kind of trying to turn it into like samurai sword is, is my analogy that I always say. So it can be a really good tool for doing very specific things, but you have to change it. So what I do is I go in, I've got the ability to actually add, you know, fields. I've got the ability to add things to it, to change the interface with my web design history. I'm able to, you know, add buttons, remove buttons, those types of things. It sounds kind of trivial, but it's kind of important, you know, if people need information on certain pages to build reports out of it that you wouldn't be able to do if you didn't know a bit of SQL and also HTML to present it and those types of things. So I send that information to School Messenger, to our special ed program, to our nurses program, all the other systems that we use. You know, going from one proprietary system that only uses, you know, you have to do things PowerSchool's way inside PowerSchool, but then, you know, our special education system wants it in a different form. So I've automated the processes to make that happen. Before, they just didn't match, and that's just how it was, right? We're going to guess that this kid is this kid. You know, his name's spelled differently here, and, you know, but that's probably him, you know, so now things match up pretty well. So keeping those things going, it's a full-time job keeping things clean, I guess. Well, I think people may not understand unless they're in it, how much data is being generated on a daily basis, right? It may not be like IOT level constant streams of data, but even on a daily basis here, we're generating attendance history. We're generating disciplinary files. We're getting test results. We're getting medical uh, history, medical history, health records, and everything has, you know, a basic layer of data protection and security that needs to be applied to it. And then there's some things that need to be even more secure. And so it becomes pretty complicated pretty quickly. And then in addition to that, a lot of the, you know, administrators, teachers, technologists even, this is all relatively new capabilities, right? This is things that have been hitting education over the past 30 to 40 years, but the big, you know, big portion of that has been hitting in the last 10. And, you know, they didn't go to school for how to manage a student information system or how to process or extract, transform and load data from one system to another, right? Or even just four years ago, it was turned in by hand. You know, right. they, they literally had a list that they would write, you know, and then turn that into the state. And now if the, you know, one letter is wrong in a name, it's going to get kicked back and everything, you know, that's going to knock on to, you know, 15 other files kind of thing. Yeah. So it's just, they're asking a lot more of schools to be much more exact. So 
being an educator as well as somebody who's familiar with the technology and actually cares and wants to dig in and kind of understand mm -hmm. exactly why that is, is a huge boon to doing this job for certain. Are you also, does your state, I'm trying to process this. So when I was in the UK, we had, I worked with a gentleman who we did everything in a file maker kind of system. This is, <laughs> this is back in, I'm not going to date myself, but it was file maker seven. <laughs> it was back when you were 16 or 17 16 years old. Years right? old of yes. course. Okay. <laughs> but we also combined with power school, our curriculum and everything like that. Are you helping this teachers manage so we could actually go in and dig into our skills and dig into our units and yep. match completion? which is nice because you have strings versus like a bar graph kind of output going on. Right. We only have one school that keeps their grades in power school. That's how separate we are again. So then out of the four schools in our district, only the high school does that. But FileMaker is still around, believe it or not. We just switched. And that's one of the things when I came in, we used to have to keep this old computer <laughs> unupdated in the school <laughs> because it had the version of FileMaker that would use Java that could communicate with the state. So one of the reports that I feel has fulfilled that that old reports need so that, but there's still people are like, well, when we submit this, we're going to have to, I'm like, no, that's not how it's done anymore. But yeah. So even just two years ago, I think we, we let go of that. Yeah. All of our incident data had to be yep, sent in on this old computer that we kept unupdated in a room that nobody could touch. And it even had like a, a sticky note, I kid you not on it, that says don't update. <laughs> yeah, I think people will be surprised to realize how many tech departments have a computer in the back room that has a post-it note yeah. that says don't even breathe on this thing, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. That'd be interesting, just sidetracking. Because when you output data out of like a FileMaker program, I suppose you just output it anywhere and then manipulate it with Python? That's exactly what's going on. Everything comes out as a CSV normally, and but different, you know, something that might be a, a yes saved in PowerSchool might be need to be a one when it goes to our GoalView program. So those are the types of things that I've been automating. <laughs> yep. So pretty much everything comes out as some sort of a CSV file, actually text type file. Yep. And I change them over and send them where they're supposed to go. So, so newbie person, newbie questions for our newbie. So if thinking about this, I always still, I don't know if you've ever listened to the past podcast. I still have the dream of one day doing this, my own database thing for data for that's not a power school. That's not whatever. But as you get the data, all you really need to know is what would be the output to match. And then more simply just go, if this is that, then that can push to whatever else, right? It's I always, everyone gets surprised when I, when, when we talk about the Python, but it's really not. It's just understanding some sort of condition in order to match it. Absolutely. Provided you have the exact same, same. fields in both <laughs> systems, it's that simple. Yep. It's when you don't, that it gets a little bit more complicated. Then you have to write in a lot more logic. For instance, our PowerSchool system keeps our contacts in a different way than the contacts need to go to our other system. And they require different things, educational rights versus, you know, who's, a, who's in custody or who has custody and those types of things. So sometimes you have to figure out exactly what they need yeah, before you can send it. So, and that's opinion isn't the right word. That's more subjective. You have to make an informed decision on, yeah. on, you know, which things match up with which between the systems. But yep, for the most part, it's as simple as bringing it down, changing the zero to a yes or no, and that. And it helps to be an educator. I think that's one of the, sometimes the issues in schools when you have a great tech department, but they've never been educators. So it makes their job a little bit more cumbersome because they don't really understand systems in order to match data, in order to push the data in the correct area. Yes, they can find a field, that's the easy part, but actually to make sense of the data and be helpful for the teachers, it takes a lot of 
double knowledge, right? Yep. So. Yeah, especially when I was doing tech integration, I always, you know, it helped a lot to be an educator in that point too, because nobody knows what it's like to sit up in front of 25 kids that are already restless and then have something fail and then boom, there's your next half hour of wasted time. You know, when you finally get everybody's attention or whatever, it's very, it, it's kind of a similar issue as far as it goes with the data and the information, you know. Cool. Yeah. So for teachers who are maybe looking to make this kind of jump, right? Who they want to, they want to go from classroom teaching into more of a data role or an analytics role, or be that person who's gluing, duct taping, joining, however it gets, <laughs> it gets together. What advice do you have for them for maybe how to get started down this path? I found as many opportunities as I could in my school to start to use Python to solve problems. The very first one that I did was we had our school pictures came back and I was working, I, I maintained the website for my school at the time. And one of the board members wanted everybody's names to be, or everybody's picture, all the staff members' pictures to be on the website. So we got a disc from the, you know, the people who come by and do the school pictures and, but it all had their numbers under there. And I didn't know everybody at the staff because I was pretty new, but I had a list of names and numbers, you know, because this was actually for a database upload they'd given us in, a, in the machine format, basically. So I wrote a program that went through and matched up and renamed all the photos with the actual person's name. And it probably took me a week and a half. Again, like you say, like 45 minutes here, half an hour there when I could and, you know, plenty of time at home and everything to make it happen. But man, when I did that and it all happened in like 1.5 seconds and it renamed, you know, 500 photos, uh, it was pretty cool and correctly, <laughs> you know, so I learned a lot about looping and, and reading from files and reading from nested folders and, and all that kind of stuff. It was a, just a great kind of project for me. But the next time I came across any kind of a loop or whatever, I'd already, you know, I took that knowledge with me. So, so that was like the first thing. And, and then we had a employee intake, you know, new, we get a new employee. There's, you know, five things the front office has to do, five things the admins have to do, the technology department has to do this, you know, so I started to write programs that would go and talk to Google Drive from, or Google Docs from Python. So I would download all the information. I would fire off an email to everybody, letting them know that they came and that there was a spreadsheet waiting for them. And then I also like automated from the form, I created a new spreadsheet with had all these things and made a checklist for everybody. And then I sent the email for that. And then eventually I was like, oh, every Monday, I'm going to remind everybody of the things that they haven't done yet. So then I, I created those types of things that were really great. I automated our mandatory training, which was really cool. You have to come in and you have to do like these 15 different things every year, you know, how to deal with assault and your mandatory reporting, all these, all this information. It used to be, we had this list and you had to fill out a form that said that you'd already done it. The principal would come in and ask me every two weeks, can you give me the names of everybody who hasn't done it? I would literally count, copy, paste all these names, sort, filter, everything. So then I was like, there has to be a better way. So when I started scripting, I was able to write something that would just kind of keep track of that and send everybody an email every Monday. And then also, you know, if you've written some programs before, you'll know, I also took that same list when I emailed them, I added them to another list. And then the principal got a list of the people who still needed to do it. And it went from mandatory reporting being done in February to being done on October 1st when it was supposed to be finished, you know, because you get pounded by the machine <laughs> on a regular basis, I guess. So change of questions and forgive me if this is a dumb question for everybody, but I know you're st storing all this data because it's pretty sensitive stuff. And I know, you know, you obviously have Google and Google for education has that security ish. 
<laughs> security, I mean. <laughs> I don't say it. <laughs> Where do you store your data? Do you guys store them on your own servers? Do you outsource or there's a district? You know, if it's a big legitimate company that's used to this stuff, you know, like our, our special edge is hosted by, you know, a company that's their specialty. So, you know, they have all the protections in place, but you'd have to be very careful about how things get moved back and forth. So you tend not to email student information at all, you know, so that stuff always stays right where it's at. Most of the stuff that I deal with when I send student information is sent to the state over SFTP. Otherwise, if it's staff information, I, I email staff information to them about themselves. But yeah, it's definitely a concern and it gets to be a bigger and bigger concern all the time. Any of our student information, we have an SFTP server here, so everything goes securely. If it's going from PowerSchool to my little SFTP server here, because I've got to have it locally here to work on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Prior to the summer, I would not have known what you were talking about, but I did manage to do this whole movement of vendor all of our software into one app and that you know sftp and then my my data guy the tech guy was like stop sending and i'm like oh what am i supposed to be doing <laughs> you can't and i'm like but it's google it's safe yeah <laughs> it's our documents <laughs> It keeps it interesting for certain. That's an extra challenge, an extra layer on top. But you find that once you once you figure a way to solve it, you just use that same way <laughs> as much as you can. I don't have the advantage. We don't have the depth of experience here that I, I actually had to build my own SFTP server. I researched it. I had to figure it out. And then once I could get that going, then I could start working. You know, Then I could start to create automation. So I had to like create my own environment to start working on this stuff in the first place. So that was an adventure as well. Wanted to ask a little bit about kind of the, like, if you were to go back, right? Because you've spent three years now kind of away from the classroom and that gives you kind of a unique perspective in terms of what's been developing, what's been happening for technology and learning tools and everything. So if you were going to go back to the classroom and teach, what, what are the things that you'd bring with you from this role and from what you've seen develop over the last three years? Yeah. Yeah. I started to play a lot around a lot with microbits right before I left. And I was working with some older students doing some stuff with microbits. And I would definitely start there. It's a great way to get some some real hands-on experience with an actual coding language and things. The microbit robots, I was looking at those a few years ago. I'm sure they've progressed a lot in the past few years, but just taking that same, you know, once you get comfortable with that piece, putting that into something else that's going to start moving is, is a great next step. Web design, I think, has been monumental, I think, in understanding, building things that people are going to interact with. If you have the skills in web design, then you're going to know how to do, how to position and, and work with things inside of apps. And that's like a next logical kind of step, you know, or even if you're going to go into games, game design and stuff like that, a strong web design, I think, is going to help with a lot of that stuff. So I would definitely start with that. It's HTML and CSS are easy. And then you can, once kids are comfortable with that, you can really just kind of pile on lots of cool little JavaScripty type things. Unfortunately, yeah, web design stuff doesn't, it's complicated with Python. It's doable, but it's not accessible, I would think. It's got a high learning curve. Yeah, app development, that type of thing with older kids, you know, if you could get high school, but it's pretty intense. Yeah, those are the types of things I'd like to, I was hoping to move the two older students just to be able to 
do more things. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> if I have to teach another prince, I'm really, I say this every, every quarter, I'm really good at teaching objects. I can answer any question about a student's code from my desk without seeing it now. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the elementary school life. That's, That's our, yeah, middle school as well. So here's, <laughs> here's a question not on our question sheet because I'm thinking about all the things that I wish I could automate. But if you could design, if you could design or automate something for teachers that would make their lives much easier and you, you could feasi feasibly do it, what would you help them with to... I'm not necessarily good at finding <laughs> big issues like that. What I really, really, really enjoyed was solving my own problems with code. And I really get a kick out of getting it exactly the way I want. You know, <laughs> there's lots of tedious parts of teaching that you have to deal with in between. It's tough. I would, if it were me, I would, I would learn enough code that I could solve those issues that I really wanted to, you know, because it's got to be fun while you're learning. If it's not fun while you're learning and, and there's nothing more fun than solving a real problem, you know? So that's for me was, that's why I started to automate those little tasks that just kind of take them off my plate. And then, you know, when it needed to be tweaked, I like looked forward to it. Oh, this is broken or we want to change this. I'm like, ah, yep, I got it. <laughs> no problem. I found a lot of satisfaction in automating the small things, right? Like just the, the little task. I didn't even tell Kelly about this one yet because I was just messing around with it yesterday. So she knows and she's rolled her eyes many times at the home automation <laughs> project that I've worked on over the past year and a half. But one of the things that I added a few months ago was home energy monitoring. So right. we keep track of energy usage in my home. And it's pretty much one way because I don't have any you know, solar generation or wind generation or anything like that or battery storage. But it just tells me how much power I'm consuming from the grid. And one of the really cool things about the solution I went with is it has these little clamp meters that go onto every circuit in your house. Every circuit breaker has a line coming off it. You clamp onto that and then you can measure the current coming off of that circuit. Well, one of the circuits that I'm measuring is the dishwasher. And your dishwasher basically uses no power when it's off. It's like one watt or something just to keep the buttons alive if you want to light it up. But Otherwise, it consumes no power, but it's pretty easy to detect when it's running because the power cycles up pretty high. So I made this automation that knows when the dishwasher's on and when the dishwasher's off. And when the dishwasher turns off, it sends me a little pop-up notification on my phone that says, hey, the dishwasher just shut off. Well, the thing that I added yesterday, wait, just wait. You think she's shaking her head now? Just wait. The thing I added to it was it has a little counter variable that keeps track of how many dishwasher pods we have. And every time the dishwasher finishes, it deducts one oh from God. the from the pod count. And then when it gets below 10, it sends me a notification that says, hey, Why don't you, you need just to connect it to Amazon and just have it right. order for you? I mean, why did you waste that step? You should just be automatically- Iterative improvement. That's the next <laughs> step in the process. Yeah, oh, I absolutely love that. That is fantastic. I wish somebody could automate my my Yuffie and my iRobot and tell it to stop sticking into the, you know, if you got stuck there, don't go back into the closet. <laughs> see, Learn from you them. can make that happen. <laughs> Be the code you want to see. Yeah, and that's how Skynet yeah. was born, right? <laughs> Once you teach the robot vacuums how to learn, that's when it's over. <laughs> I think those little personalized projects like that, I learned so much from them. I have one that, so I commute to work by bike. So I got into like, 
I like to like the details of things, obviously. So I got into like waxing my chain rather than oiling my chain. So I bought like a bunch of like three different chains and then every 200 to 300 miles, it need to be switched out and rewaxed to put it back on to make it sure it's nice and silent. So I use Strava and I automated a Google sheet to check Strava every four hours to see if I've ridden. And then if I ride, then it goes into the sheet and it adds in how far I've gone and it totals it up. And there's another sheet with my three chains on it. And then it also adds the mileage to that chain. And then as soon as I get 200 miles, it'll send me an email that says, hey, time to get a chain ready. And when it gets to 300 miles, it says change your chain. And then I've, I've made a little button. And this is great. There's an API inside there. So I made a little button that comes in my email that I can tap and it'll move on to the next chain. See, this is why he was me. so excited. He was like a kid in a candy shop knowing yeah. that he was going to talk to you today to have some sort of nerd sharing, <laughs> nerd sharing well, automation going You know on. how much I learned during that whole process and like I was smiling like the whole, well, when it worked, right? Of course, when I was frustrated for four hours because something didn't work, it, it's tough. But, you know, and I've brought a lot of that, what I learned in that to automating things at work, you know, and that's something that would, you know lying there awake at night trying to figure out how to fix that one, you know, off by one error or whatever it might be. It's really, really good personal projects, I think are fantastic. I think it's also a good indicator. So if you're the kind of person who thinks you might be interested in a data job like this or an automation job, kind of ask yourself where you get the satisfaction from, right? So if you're the kind of person who loves putting three weeks into solving a problem (laughs) and you're not going to give it up because you know you can do it, you might be really good for this. If you're the kind of person who's like, I'm going to spend you know, two hours figuring out how to save myself 20 minutes of work, because to me, the equation is like, I learn it, I have that knowledge, I can reapply it later. So maybe it's two hours this time, but next time it'll be 20 minutes. And the time after that, I won't have to do it at all because it'll already be automated. And now when I think of a problem, I start to build things more modularly. So I can just go, oh, I've already built that solution that I've already built that Delta function. So I get the, you know, I feed in two lists and I can get the change back. Why now I use that in lots of different projects or things like that. So the more projects you come against, hopefully the better you get at those types of things. Really, really handy. And that's where learning functions is so important, but you don't really get it when you're teaching it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it helps when you've got to you got to apply it, right? Yeah. You got to yep. find some way to actually use it. Wait, haven't I done this before? Oh yeah, I go back to that one, and then I end up, you know, all my variable names will mess me up mul- multiple times. And so now I use more ambiguous variable names, you know, that describe not necessarily that exact same thing, but maybe what's happening or what that might be. It was from what you were saying earlier. I was when I started teaching, I thought of myself as a people person, and you know, I obviously wanted a job where I was in front of people all the time. And then the more I started coding, the more I started thinking. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> Maybe I do enjoy this, but it's nice to be, it's nice to definitely, you don't want to be a, a kind of tech person that hides in the back room. So I think that that's one of my advantages, you know, is that I'm able to go in and I could, you know, always work with teachers. So it's easy to go back and, and try and explain things or make things that work for them as well. And not just, you know, slave to the data, what, yeah. whatever that might be. We were having a similar conversation just this morning. We were talking about things like, that are we're passionate about. And for me, everyone always tells me go get a project. But for me, like the projects are solving these little bite sized challenges, because one, I know I'm a busy person. And having to be like the single mom do everything and then do schoolwork and whatnot and be the taxi cab person, I just want to be able to challenge myself for about 30 minutes, or three weeks, and you know, move <laughs> on. So it's like I get really excited and really those endorphins of solving challenges given to me where Sean gets and you guys and you probably as well get excited about solving your own personal. So 
personal challenges. But I think like whatever it is, whatever provides those endorphins and that passion is something that keeps us coders doing what we love to do. So it's been really cool. Yeah. 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 I tend to get a little bored of things that I get really into after three or four years. And I found that coding, there is no end, right? That you can just, you just get a little bit more complicated or a little different, or you can just add another language that does a little thing. And once you have your basics down, like the, the basics you guys are giving these kids when they leave your class is going to serve them, you know, for the rest of their lives. So you only have to learn how to do a function once, and then you can apply that in any new language that you're going to go to or learn a loop or, a, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. We definitely, the kids definitely leave here in eighth grade on their way to know more about coding than I probably will in that same lifetime. <laughs> so they great. just, they go on and they, they just impress. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. For like a science, science analogy, they're like, you're giving them like the simple machines, you know, that you can build <laughs> everything else from later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we're just about running out of time. I have to go give those eighth graders that quiz that uh, <laughs> that they don't know is coming. <laughs> and, and, but Rusty, I, I want to thank you for for joining us today. It was really really interesting and enlightening to learn a little bit about what happens kind of behind the scenes to make education happen. I mean, there's a lot of data that has to move back and forth, and more and more every every day that we're collecting. Absolutely. And, I know that teachers will be kind of well positioned to help make that happen and to make it happen in the right way. So, so thank you for sharing that with us. It's been really great to, to learn more about it. Excellent. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, yeah. it was great. I was trying to find something because I know he's going to ask me if I have anything and I know <laughs> I do have something. I did take a little free course from ID. IDOU, if anybody ever has an opportunity to do this, I think this is applicable for a job that, that you're in. You also have coding skills, but you also have this ability to help drive change in your organization. And this this course was kind of like, how do you drive change? And there was one thing that made me think about this course was one of the things that they talked about was this feedback loops and how can I shape my work in order to make my progress in X? And that was something that really stuck with me about coding. How can I, how can I shape what I'm learning in Python in order to help me make progress in this project or this problem? And it was just a neat course. So if anybody, it was free, IDEO, IDEO, <laughs> you, something to think about as a computer science teacher. Nice. Well, the one that I want to share is one I'm stealing from you, which is <laughs> Kelly found this fantastic visualization of <gasps> logical operators and it's, it's trick or treat. And it has two pumpkins shaped like Venn diagrams. So the trick or treat shows them both colored in, including, including their overlap trick and treat has just the overlap. And then it has trick XOR treat. So it's the exclusive or it's one pumpkin or the other, but not the overlap. It has a NAND in there. It has a NOR. I'm trying to find it. And it has a XNOR. So it is really great and so much fun. And I'm definitely going to put it up in the classroom and I'll share it on the show notes. Shamelessly stolen from Kelly, who retweeted it from someone else. From William Lau. William Lau at Mr. Lau Learning on Twitter. Just really fun, very seasonal, especially here in the U.S. where we're about to kick off Halloween weekend. And I think it was just a really was great cute. share. Yeah, I liked it. So if you want to follow more about the show, if you have your own thoughts about making the transition between teaching and education data, you can always follow us on Twitter at Teaching Python. Our website is teachingpython.fm. We love to get 
listener emails. We've actually been doing a pretty decent job of replying to listener emails recently. I, I so try that's and been I nice. Try and I think I missed a couple, but I'm, <laughs> I, I promise I'll get back to them sooner or later. I was just catching up on my grading. <laughs> yep. You can always sponsor us on Patreon. So anything that goes into Patreon goes into producing the show. So we appreciate all of our Patreon sponsors for that. And I think with that, we're going to say have a great weekend. And for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off.